It takes more than sending an email saying, I wish to retract my previous message to be a great software engineer. This is episode 247 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we answer your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. I guess this is like a big company only problem. I've never seen this at a startup where <laughs> the person, the one person in the office with you sends you an email saying, <laughs> I wish to retract my previous message. They just turn around, tap you on the shoulder and say, can I hold your keyboard for a minute? <laughs> Press the delete key. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this, this violates the Streisand effect or it doesn't violate it. It illustrates it because every time I get one of these, I just frantically search my email to find out what was the message that they want to retract. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's exactly right. If they sent another message that was like, hey, did you get a chance to check on the Q4 TPS reports? It would instantly go to my garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> but they made it interesting. Dave, do you want to thank our patrons? I do. Thank you so much to those that are supporting on Patreon. We have a one-time shout out for Eve Ben Ezra. And we have weekly shout-outs for Nick Cantire, the Agile Ventures Charity, Chris Hogan, Brayden Kane, Stephen Armand Lee, Philip John Basile, John Grant, Dennis Bogdanov, Tr- Travis Sanders, Nick Hathaway, Oladabo Fadi, Kiaran Svainson, Ragnar Hardison, Christian Polanco, Roman Denisov, FizzBuzz, Influencer, Adrian Bording, and TestingIsDocumenting.org. If you'd like to join this group and join our Slack community, you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. Any dollar amount greater than zero will get you access to our Slack community. And certain levels will get you access to hearing your name or whatever word you type into our text box said in one of our voices every week. We promise. I, oh no, you, you have a follow-up. That's right. We do have a, we have a nice, we got a nice comment from someone with a great idea that I thought I'd share. This comes from a listener named Art, who has an idea of what to do for the question asker from last week's episode, which is episode 246 who discovered that one of their coworkers was severely underpaid. Art says, the manager can lobby for another senior developer role to position to be opened because of increasing number of junior developers and work planned, then open the position and offer it to the underpaid junior engineer, promote them into a senior engineer, and then give them a raise. HR should be happy about the short interview process and reduced onboarding costs, and the underpaid employee can show that not only did he get a raise, but also got promoted. <laughs> Everyone wins. It's foolproof. It's a good idea. I'm actually surprised I didn't think of it. You close the position to hire a junior developer that you opened up once this person switched after not being able to find anyone that will accept such a low rate. That's right. <laughs> I can't backfill at this <laughs> at this salary. <laughs> Sorry. Which frees up even more budget for the raise. Yep. <laughs> cool. I'm going to read our first question. I'm not even going to wait. This is a question from a listener named Bruno who asks... What is your opinion about estimates? Is it a good practice? Are they helpful or just a guess? Should we estimate in story points or hours? How can we improve our estimation skills to be more accurate? I really don't like estimating. I don't think it is a good practice because we almost never get it right. The teams that I worked with also almost always made wrong estimates, causing us to miss our sprint commitments frequently. Is it a problem with this practice or is there a way to improve it? I have heard about the Kanban method, which doesn't use estimation, but metrics to give predictability. What do you think? I love how this question answered itself. Bruno (laughs) says, should we do this? I don't think we should. (laughs) Yeah. They're almost never accurate. We miss our sprint commitments, sprint commitments more frequently. This isn't a joke at all, but I read a thing saying that some official agile guide moved from commitments to, was it forecasts? 
mm. because they wanted to de-emphasize this idea that at the beginning of the sprint you say, I solemnly swear I will get this done, and if I do not, I will accept my punishment of public right. shame. <laughs> and I found that that doesn't motivate me to do better work in general. The threat of death doesn't motivate you? No. I think maybe no. you've never had a real threat of death, Jameson. Well, it wasn't death. They put us in stocks and threw expired coconut waters at us. <laughs> <laughs> this is at a startup not threatening enough i guess yep that's funny huh. i estimate that I, my estimates are right 50 percent of the time that's your estimation yeah what is the chance that that estimate i just made is correct uh <laughs> <laughs> it's like since you're chaining estimates to each other it's like when you have like when you add more parts to a system that each have a mean time to failure. The mean time to failure of the system is you find by multiplying all the mean time to failures with each other and it just plummets. Hmm. You're saying it's less than 50%. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, shoot. Yeah. Do you, do you estimate as part of your... Well, I guess there's a difference here. This sounds like specifically scrummy estimation where you have regular sprints and at the beginning of the sprint, you estimate... This is how long these tasks will take. So this is roughly how much we can do in this short time period. It seems focused on that, not just like, hey, when will this project be done? Yeah. I mean, the the promise of Scrum, and if you read the Scrum book and read all the website stuff from like 10, 15 years ago, the promise was... Why would I ever do that? <laughs> I read the Scrum book. When I can just... When I can just bit nonsense about something i've never read you read it i read yeah the book titled scrum by sutherland okay to save me time summarize it in two words please <laughs> scrum <laughs> the, the two-word summary is scrum good <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks for all that time you saved me scrum really is good <laughs> but the, the great promise was that as a team you could put story points on every task and then you could monitor a team's output in terms of those points by counting up all the stories that were delivered in a certain time period. And then you could establish a velocity. And then, going forward, anytime a team put points on things, you knew exactly when they were going to be done if you stacked them up in a certain order. And that sounds pretty good. How often does it go that way? Zero uh, percent of the time, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've literally never seen it work. <laughs> I think it's helpful to bite off chunks of work and say, this is roughly how much we can bite off, but I've never seen the full end-to-end -end process of, we've just nailed our estimation process, we got our velocity down, and by the way, we've broken down this upcoming project into tasks that all have estimates on them, and the tasks are right, and there's nothing missing, nothing's going to change. Right. That that last part is very important. Yeah. like I've I found it helpful to estimate vaguely how much we can do in a sprint but by the time you know what is involved in a project that's usually when it's done that's right building is scoping i think is <laughs> the way i put that <laughs> yeah have you heard that phrase i have a map of the world actual size yeah <laughs> that's kind of like what it is oh my gosh i love that go off and get me an estimate and you say all right it will take, <laughs> I'll tell you when I have the estimate and then you hand the product back. The visual, the visual from that quote just totally stimulated my brain. I love that. Oh. I had a professor who used to say it all the time. It's probably from something. I have a map of the world actual size. Oh, I love the imagery that. Whew. Sometimes, sometimes language can really move me. And that, that was one of them. Thank you, Jameson. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank, uh, 
Was it Dr. Goodrich? I'll have to remember who it was. We'll put it in the show notes. I think one of my professors. Yep. So I, I have done estimation every way you can you can imagine over the last 10 years. I mean, just every which way. I've done, what's it called? The poker, story point poker? Is that planning what poker? It? Planning poker. That's what it is. Planning poker, yeah. I've done planning poker. I've done digital planning poker, analog planning poker. I've done put story points on everything. I've done break it all down. How did you do Texas Hold'em planning <laughs> poker? Or was it... What's the other one? Five card draw or something? Five card stud? I'm no poker wizard. Planning poker stud? No. I did everyone hold up their card and put it on your forehead <laughs> poker Ah, with the story points you think it is. Okay. I've managed teams where I said, look, I want you to break this down and your, your estimate needs to come to me with a list of all the source files you'll need to touch to do this project, this task. You know, like that level of detail. And then I've also done the opposite where I say, don't estimate anything. Just go as fast as you can because we're going to cut out all the estimation time and get our get our eight hours a week back, you know, and see if we go faster. Ugh, yeah. and I've, I've done no estimates. I've done no points. I've done some points. I've done, let's just work to a deadline where you say, I'm going to give you a deadline. You get as much as you can. Here's the problem you're trying to tackle. Tackle it as much as it can be tackled and ship it by this date and just everything in between. And? There's no and, Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> you're just... <laughs> Just bragging about all the different stuff you've done. The, here, no, here's the end. Here's the end. You want to know what works best? What? Of all those things, the one thing that works the best is changing the system. But that wasn't one of the things. It wasn't. It was in everything, which means oh. I'm telling you, I've seen this and I believe there may have even been studies that show this, that introducing a little bit of change to processes doled out at the appropriate time increases productivity. Huh. I've never heard that. Interesting. Secondhand heard about a, a study from the early 1900s studying manufacturing facilities where the, these motion efficiency people would come in and adjust the assembly line process a little bit and tell people, okay, do this with your hands a little bit differently and productivity would go up. And then a month they would observe that for a month, measure it, capture the increase. Then they'd go and say, all right, now we're going to make this tweak. And then productivity would go up, you know, and then they'd measure that for a month, capture it, and they'd make another tweak. And they even saw that if they went back to the original process, it went up. That productivity would go up huh. again, and and they concluded that the act of introducing some change increases productivity. So I have my own data of half remembered secondhand studies, which is that <laughs> deliberate practice increases performance on a logarithmic scale. Okay, which means there are diminishing returns basically. So. Yeah. You get much better, faster at the beginning, and then eventually it kind of levels off. So I wonder how much of that was just practice and how much of it was the process getting better. Or the fact that they'd been doing the job longer. Yeah, I mean, they had been, exactly, they had been doing the job longer each time. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't erase that variable, right? And, and the same thing goes with software teams. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's like you find your stuff in the last place you looked. Like whichever the last process you tried was the best because that's when your team was the most experienced. <laughs> performing the best. Right? Yeah. Like they've yeah. you now have a team that's been building widgets for six months instead of four months. Oh, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was the process to change, not the team's level of skill. Yeah. But seriously, like in, in software, that that's huge, right? Like let's say you come onto a code base and it's your first time working in it. And then you make note of your performance. And then, you know, six months later, you've been now still working in the same code base. You're way more productive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the desire for estimates is never going to go away because it turns out it's helpful to know when things are going to happen. Yeah. So I've heard there's this no estimates crowd that 
tries to pitch the idea that we shouldn't ever have any estimates. We should just work on stuff. And I think that would make developers really happy and everybody else in the company very yeah. <laughs> anxious and confused. Because if you have like a board meeting, you go up and say, well, I don't know. We don't have estimates. so." But I need $50 million. <laughs> yeah. Our next quarterly plans are whatever we get done in the next quarter. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds, I laugh at that, but I think when I was a younger developer, I would have been like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you just let me you work. You tie me down. Yeah. yeah. This is art. You can't rush art. No. I am a professional artist. Yeah. I'm a craftsman. And if it turns out if you are a professional artist, that means you can crank out art. That's right. In fact, <laughs> Often. yeah. You've got, you have, you have, in fact, you have cranked out tons of art probably. Yeah. It, it's fascinating. I don't think I ever really appreciated it. Why estimates and schedules were so necessary and. I used to really push for that. Like, no, it'll be done when it's done and the quality is good enough. You know, and that's... Yeah, that used to be, we would make a hero out of whoever pushed that, pushed back on that. Yes. The, the, the loudest. We nominate that person to represent us. Yes, you you go talk to management. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You tell them to leave us alone. <laughs> you... <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is for years, I would listen to, I would hear companies like Amazon. And I would, I would hold them up as an example from the outside where I would say, Amazon never gives dates. They never promise that a product's going to be shipped at a certain time. They just launch the product when it's ready. And so I would go to my management and say, we're going to be like Amazon. We're not going to tell you the date. We're going to ship it when it's ready. Mm -hmm. And then I went and worked for Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that internally, it's nothing but dates and commitments. Tons. I mean, it's nonstop dates. They, they hire armies of people whose only job is to track dates and deliverables. Hmm. So Did you go back and apologize to your should, previous management? I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did they say, we'll be like Amazon when our revenue is in the billions of dollars? Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. That's what they should have said. Yeah. But I was just so intense. They were dumbfounded. Speechless. So nihilism, that's the strategy. <laughs> I Really, when it comes right now, okay, so let, let me tell a couple, let me tell one anecdote from my own life. The only time I've ever seen accurate estimates is when I was on a one-person project, and that one person was me, and I had a very concrete list of objectives to accomplish in a pretty short amount of time, like eight to ten weeks. Hmm. And I, I estimated how long I thought these things would take up front, and I said I'm going to need eight to ten. I'm going to need eight weeks, let's just say, to finish it. And the tasks were so fine-grained and so specific that I could, I could estimate down to the half day. I could say that's going to take me one and a half days to finish. And I got to the point where I was right most of the time. But what's really important is what's missing from this project. First of all, other engineers that need to be communicated with. <laughs> Second of all, QA. There was no QA to sign off. I signed off whenever I thought the quality was good. You know, and so there, that was another variable. There was no customer in the mix at that point. And there was no one representing the customer either. It was just me interpreting the requirements and then going off in a cave and implementing them for eight weeks. There was no product manager to check up on status and ask me questions and challenge me. You know, there was no manager. It was, it was literally this case where there was extra research money to be burned in the calendar year. And so my job was just to burn that on schedule, um, but also yeah. ship a product at the end, which I did. And it was fine. And then it got shelved and no one ever touched it. So it's like in that extremely rare scenario, you know, it's like the it's like the perfectly sphere shaped cow in a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> then you can produce accurate software estimates, I think. So that just changes the problem into how do you turn every project into the perfectly spherical cow. That's right. <laughs> yep. 
All right. Have we answered the question? (laughs) (laughs) Not even close. I don't know. It's an eternal question. the, The fact is you do need to estimate and it is a skill and there are people that are very bad at it. (laughs) <laughs> which is most of us i think and i i think it's i think it is a, it is wrong for software engineers to push back on this concept of dates and commitments forecast i think forecasting is a great way to say it but at the end of the day you're being paid by someone who wants you to build something and you need to be able to deliver what they've paid for and yeah it, it, our industry is hard to estimate it's not like it's not like remodeling a house you know it's a little like remodeling a house but not very much where, yeah, there's yeah. in a house there can be unexpected things, but there's kind of an upper bound, right? It's like, well, at some point you run out of unexpected things and you could rebuild the whole house and you know that's the upper bound. But, you know, in software, yeah. it's like everything's unknown, it feels like, a lot of times. Hmm. I lean towards that idea you said earlier of you pick deadlines and then you you cut scope to hit them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work for every project. There are some projects that have uncuttable scope and if you cut the scope, then you cut the whole project. So I don't know what the universal answer is. Like if you, I don't know, if you're if you're deploying a new database, you can't just say, actually, we didn't deploy it. We cut the scope. <laughs> so we hit our deadline. Or, uh, we cut the know, scope it, it to no database required. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We cut the scope to read only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah some minimum requirement that you can't cut there's almost always a chance to cut scope but i know jameson you've you've worked in an industry where you had very rigid deadlines in the ed tech industry right and the the deadline was driven by matriculation dates for you know a dozen universities and it's like they're not going to push back the matriculation dates you have to ship it and it has to be ready on time Actually, I've worked in two industries now because now I work in retail and e-commerce and there's their black friday doomsday (laughs) deadlines of yeah (laughs) Holidays come, whether your software is done or not. Yeah. And and so what do you do? We cut scope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm saying you can't yeah. you can't have it both ways. They can't both be rigid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've we've walked away from things that felt like it would be hard to walk away from. But the other alternative is you you put in a ton of effort to try to sprint faster for some time period, and that has a whole different set of trade offs. Yeah. But yeah, what have I learned about this? I think you learned to cut scope always. Estimates are always better in January. Not better. They're always more optimistic in January than in September. As you're closer <laughs> to the holiday when, season. Yeah, September is when you realize like, oh, this is what will actually get done by the holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so temporal proximity brings clarity on your yep. uh, on your estimates. Um I mean that's sort of the that's sort of the sprint model, right? Is you you estimate in smaller chunks and hopefully that makes them more accurate overall but you still have to break it down into those small chunks at some point that's right yeah iteration is a is maybe a sneaky workaround for this if you can yeah i love that i think there's a scene uh i think it's from it's a star wars parody there's a cartoon of a star wars parody where at the end of episode four a new hope where they're all planning to to go blow up the death star and all the pilots are sitting around and the commander reveals the target and it's this like tiny porthole vent hole on the death star that they have to shoot these missiles into one of the pilots stands up and says that's too small of a target to hit we can't hit that and then of course luke skywalker stands up and says oh i used to shoot womp rats back on my home planet that size all the time you know and then (laughs) in this parody version the guy after the meeting pulls luke aside and he's like what are you doing over there man (laughs) (laughs) you're making me look really bad out there (laughs) i just thought it was so funny like you're sandbagging me and uh (laughs) looks like oh sorry man 
it was funny because I thought it's like it's kind of like software estimates. Like you have the one engineer who's like, "Oh no, this is going to take a lot longer than that," and the other estimate, the other engineer on the team saying, "Oh no, I I did a prototype like that over the weekend, and I could definitely do that in a couple of hours." <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can always get somebody to say, "I think we can go faster," and then it turns out usually management will agree with that person. That's right. <laughs> Whoever says the lowest number is is what they take away. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It goes to the lowest bidder. I don't care the cost. Yeah. We have the inverse. We 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 do the highest bidder. That's right. That's right. So the the other thing I'll, I'll say about this topic is that as a as an engineering leader, I think one of the most valuable skills you can develop is all about judgment of when to give a team a deadline and what to require to be done by that deadline and understanding when the team is raising concerns and which concerns are valid. And by valid, I mean a very specific definition of valid, which is with threaten the deadline to deliver a product that is unacceptable to the customer um, or which ones are concerns that don't threaten the deadline. You know, it's hard. It's hard to know. Like, when do we actually back off on the deadline or back off on the scope? Yeah. I just think it takes practice. And I wish I wish I could write down what actually goes on inside the neural network in my head when I'm seeing a situation and deciding whether to, you know, what to do with the date. Yeah. But I can't. It's uninspectable. Like neural networks. That's right. It's a gray box of juicy fluids. <laughs> Should we read our next question? Yeah, I think so. I will read this. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, Hello, Soft Skills Audio. Love the show and the great advice. I look forward to the show every week. Thank you very much. They go on to say, I just joined a company that embraces hot desking, and I'm having trouble feeling like I am part of the team. All the engineers report into the head of engineering, but we work on different projects. I work with one other engineer who works remotely from another state, and I take direction from the product manager, product owner, who works from another state. The culture of hot desking across five floors of a multi-story building means that each morning I end up circling around hunting for a place to sit, because anyone can sit anywhere. I could be sitting next to someone new from sales, someone from marketing, finance, or engineering every day. Everyone always looks hard at work with headphones on, and our org chart doesn't feature profile photos. I've tried introducing myself to the people I find myself next to, but it's just small talk, and I never see them again as everyone shuffles around. I'm sick of sitting alone at lunch and missing out on water cooler conversations. How do I make friends and figure out how I fit in with an office environment like this? So we got to define hot desking. This sounds like from the before times anyways. Hot desking. Are you Googling the definition? Yeah. <laughs> Can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> Question answered. Doesn't mean anything. Oh, I spelled it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Found it. <laughs> Turns out hote desking is not a thing. <laughs> what is it? Hot desking is an office organization system which involves multiple workers using a single physical workstation or surface during different time periods. The desk in the name refers to an office desk being shared by multiple office workers on different shifts as opposed to each staff member having their own personal desk. A primary motivation for hot desking is just guess, Jameson. Saving money. That's right. Cost reduction through space savings up to 30% in some <laughs> cases. But you better darn well believe that most people will pitch this as a productivity win. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about all the benefits you get from hot desking. One is that if you are a messy eater, you now get to crop dust Cheeto <laughs> remnants across the whole office instead of just to yours. Like every day you come to a clean desk, right? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you never have to live in your own filth. 
Yeah, the tragedy of the commons is only a tragedy for the people that don't let their sheep graze there. <laughs> the tragedy of the commons is only the a party tragedy of the commons for, for non psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. The party of the commons, is that what you said? Yeah. The joy of the commons? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I have so many thoughts about this. They, they talk about small talk, how they have a hard time getting past those sort of initial conversations. So there was this article in the New York Times about 36 questions to fall in love. And I think your problem is you're asking too small talk of questions. You need to ask some deeper questions, starting with given the choice of anywhere in the world, where would you want to be a dinner guest? Okay. In the middle, we have what do you value most in friendship? At the end, we have share a personal problem and ask your partner's advice on how they might handle it. Oh, perfect. And then at the very end, you stare in silence into each other's eyes for five minutes. So I think you should start with that just, one. <laughs> yeah, just go through those. The weather? Heck no. No. Make three we statements each. For instance, we both in this room are feeling. There you go. We're both what? Like, make three we statements each. For instance, we are both in this room feeling something, something, something. Oh, got it. Like, yeah. Okay. How was the sports game the other week? Nope. <laughs> Complete this sentence. I wish I had someone with whom I could share... <laughs> deep awkward hot desking yeah that's what if you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone what would you regret not having told someone <laughs> just walk up <laughs> introduce yourself and hi i'm dave that. if you were to die this evening <laughs> <laughs> and you could you can actually combine these things you can look deeply into their eyes while you're saying this to get that five minute clock started yeah no, well no it's got to be silence because oh, there is right. something about so my wife and I did this. We've been married how many years? 12? I don't know. Some number more than 10. And it was really awkward for us still <laughs> to stare into each other's eyes for five minutes without talking. How many times did you break into laughter? A lot of times. Okay. But I had a better poker face than my wife. She broke out more? Yeah. She felt more uncomfortable. Feeling deeply uncomfortable being alone with me, I guess, is a. Uh, <laughs> that's something that's your wife and I being share. Being married to me encourages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. Well, at least we've solved the awkward how to. Yeah, awkward small talk is no more. Now you have life changing relationship building talk. Yeah. I mean, just go straight to deep. Yep. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hot desking. It just sounds awful. I mean, I feel like I'm imagining what this would look like in a high school and it would turn into groups forming, right? Yeah. First, everyone would pick a new spot, but eventually the hierarchy would be established. Okay. And I think you need to take advantage of that by just claiming the top floor for yourself and then invite people into your crew. Like you can be the hierarchy if you get in on the ground floor figuratively but top floor <laughs> literally in establishing the hierarchy you get to put yourself at the top it's brilliant that's great i mean i guess could you work out some system to where your desk is not hot your desk is cold and you you lock mm. in maybe you raise it a little maybe put some bricks under it so it's up off the floor a little taller than the other desks get that hierarchy yeah. going and lock it in and then start inviting lieutenants to surround you to challenge other you know would-be hot desk usurpers you need a, a small army Ah, like you have to do, you have to take over all the desks nearer to you first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that would make your desk unattractive to someone else that would not make it also really bad for you. 
<laughs> to use. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff you could do to make no one use it, but right. I mean, I guess if you do that to all the desks, then then someone will have to address the hot desking problem. All the desks in the perimeter around your desk, right? Like build a barrier. Yeah, that's what you need. So there's this book called High Rise. Have you heard of it? No. It's about an apartment complex that becomes cut off from the outside world. And it sort of becomes like surreal and slightly spooky. And the apartment complex rapidly descends into chaos with these like warring tribes. And they they become uncivilized. They devolve. Okay. And I feel like this is a recipe for that. Like what if we took away this structure that is important to people then it turns out what replaces it is chaos. And some people thrive in chaos. Sometimes the people that thrive in chaos like Thrones of Skulls. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the first time Thrones of Skulls have come, have come up in the show. No, that's a theme. Quit Your Job is the first. Thrones of Skulls <laughs> is the second theme of the show. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if you couldn't just like rebel and say, hey, friend, let's sit in the same spot tomorrow. And then you meet and then slowly build that out. Yeah. I, mean, I think that'd be great. Then it's a then it's a game of musical chairs because you have you don't have enough desks for thirty percent of the people to do that. Right, right. So the last thirty percent just sits on the yeah. floor. They can they can sit in a hot hallway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we call this hot ground. <laughs> hot grounding. <laughs> yeah. Just root yourself right there. Feel connected with the earth on that cold corporate tile. Yeah. What if you made it really guilt inducing to take your desk just filled it with pictures of of loved ones yeah and very customized knickknacks and needy plants that require extensive care and <laughs> if i sit here this plant will die yeah if you they, i mean they have office dogs sometimes if you could find an office pet that annoys other people that oh you yeah like. that's a winner like this is my office fox i guess <laughs> or something <laughs> He's shackled to the desk. <laughs> I'm just thinking how that would. Uh, but I'm don't call animal control on me. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This sucks. Hot desking sounds horrible. Yeah. It's so funny. Like desk location and moving desks feels like such a small deal, but back in the before times when there were offices, I felt like that caused quite a bit of stir mm -hmm. among employees. They attach a bunch of a lot of importance to it. Yeah. So. This stinks. I I would just say pay spend thirty percent more money, please. This sucks. Yeah, not gonna happen. Thirty percent more money. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, I, it's just it's such a bad situation. I I even feel I feel weird offering real solutions. But one idea would be to start organizing an impromptu lunch group, kind of put up some posters or something, and say, hey, we're going out to lunch every day at this time. Meet at this point if you want to have lunch together. Because chances are. You're not the only one who hates it and would love to go to lunch with someone. That's a good point. Yeah. If you are sitting next to someone new every day, like a lot of other people have to be. They can't all know each other and be good friends except for you. Right. You could start a, you could start a little chess club, lunchtime chess. Meet me at hot desk 47A. <laughs> and no matter who's sitting there, we'll play chess on it. Ooh. <gasps> That's how you do it. You got to attach a like an, a rating system to it, ELO in chess or whatever. That's how you, you, you rank up. And as your rank goes up in chess, you also move to different spots on the floor. Yeah. 
All right, I'm out of ideas. I don't okay. know. Okay, <laughs> problem solved anyway. <laughs> good thing. Sorry. It's a good thing you running out of ideas coincided exactly with the moment that the problem was solved. That's true. <laughs> what can people do if they want to have this amazing coincidence happen to their own questions? <laughs> Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question where you can fill out our form to leave a question for us. And we just want to say thank you to everyone who has done that. We get a lot of questions and we love every single one of them and every single one of you who listens every week. We will catch you next week.